Yes, sports radio's on. Talking sports with friends, and you know we got it on. From the NFL to the NBA, MLB and college hoops do it all day. College football, we know who's number one. Understand on the phones, you know we get it done. So call in 718-664-9098, and we'll give you more. Ray and Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. You're listening to Ray and Tay today, and I'm Ray Tall Rayside. Great sports show. Give us a call, 718-664-9098. Like always, hit us up. Emails at today at gmail.com. Tweet at us, Facebook us. YouTube, we're everywhere. Check out the website for some back shows, rayandtaytoday.com. And guess what? We've got a great guest today, Super Bowl champion, former punter for the Denver Broncos, Tom Rowan will be calling in in a few minutes. So, Ray, we're going to get into the golf, baseball, NBA, but let's start with the NFL. Right off the bat, it went to the deadline. The Broncos signed Demarius. The Chiefs signed Justin Houston. And, yes, your Dallas Cowboys signed Des Bryant. Do you like the three deals and other teams? Did they did they overpay, or was it the right move? Well, there's a theory out there that if you look at the Seattle Seahawks and you look at the New England Patriots, except for Gronkowski, they didn't really pay up for wide receivers. Uh, we'll see what Jimmy Graham does this year in Seattle, but they went to the Super Bowl and they've been dominant teams without dominant wide receivers. So. The question is, do you want to be paying your wide receiver $13, $14, 15000000 million a year? I don't know. Uh, but if you are, there's no doubt that Demarius Thomas and Des Bryant are worth it because they probably right up there with uh, your boy Calvin Johnson are top five wide receivers. So they deserve it. And Justin Houston, look, he, he's the man. He, he's the anchor of that Kansas City Chiefs defense. So – Salary cap's going up in football. There's a lot of money going around, and these three athletes are in their prime. So if anybody deserves it, they deserve it. I totally agree with you. And not just that, at the same time, you could say, eh, I don't want to pay for wide receivers because there's a lot of depth in this class and last year's class, and number one receivers aren't getting Super Bowl rings. But when you don't have a great running game, both of them have injured and aging quarterbacks. I think Romo and Manning would tell you in a heartbeat, I need my number one guy, especially with potentially not the greatest running games and, you know, Manning having some other, you know, injuries to linemen and stuff like that with Clady out. So I think it's a good move. We're getting closer to training camp. I'm excited about it. Obviously, on the 25th, just five days away, the Steelers and Vikings come in. We get close to a Hall of Fame and a Hall of Fame game. We'll have to talk to Tom about that when he comes in and joins us soon. And, you know, Ray, that's what's going to be really exciting because soon is going to be the 2015 NFL season. And I'm telling you, teams are getting ready. Russell Wilson, the contract, it might not happen until, uh, you know, next year. I don't know. Do you think they get a deal done before training camp starts? I'm not sure. I actually think they're going to stretch this out, and which is a shame because you know you're going to pay the guy and you want some goodwill. 
but it doesn't seem like it's it's happening. And people usually take care of their quarterback early. They don't stretch it out. And, and you know you're going to pay the guy, so just do it. So I, it leads me to believe they're farther apart than we think. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. That's, uh, you know, it's kind of disappointing. And then you see veterans like Chris Johnson, um, him and Reggie Wayne are trying to sign with teams. Chris Johnson obviously uh, had the incident where he was shot at over the summer. He's healthy. He's ready. Do you think Johnson and Reggie Wayne and some of these other veterans wind up getting deals, maybe even a Mike Vick, during training camp when the injuries start to happen? For sure. And I think the first one is Reggie Wayne, because if he's healthy with the depth required at wide receiver, he should definitely get a look, and he's still got hands. He can still run routes. If Reggie Wayne's your number three receiver, that's pretty good. He can still play. Uh, Chris Johnson will never be CJ2K anymore, but he could probably get you 10, 15 carries a game if you needed him to, and he's always yeah. got that speed. And maybe it's not world-class. He was still good for the Jets, remember? He yeah, averaged 4.3 four yard, yards a carry. So he's, he's still, still got a little threat. something in him. So these guys will get a look. And quarterback's harder, though, because especially a guy like Mike Vick, because he is so different probably from your starting quarterback, almost like Tebow, much better than Tebow, right? But he's so different from your starting quarterback that you're thinking, all right, do I need to create a whole other system for my backup? And is he just going to come in and learn the system and basically be the guy in case my starter gets hurt? So Michael Vick's a little more difficult, but I, the other two I could definitely see them on roster sooner than later. Okay. Is our guest with us? You want to punch him in? Or? Uh, no, I don't see anybody on the board. Okay. All right. I just wanted to check because, you know, I'm having technical difficulties over here. So Tom should be giving us a ring soon. Um, Ray, I, I would have to say to me, I go Reggie Wayne all day. I do think, like you always say, is Mike Vick the top 60 quarterbacks in the NFL still? I'd have to say, yeah. I think so, um, yeah. There are sure. a lot of teams of backups that are not equal to Vick, and some teams do carry three. Don't cut me short, <laughs> 64. Well, no, I was just saying 60, but, yeah, 64, 32 teams. Without a doubt, he's in that. I mean, I would say he's probably still in the top 30 or 40, so, you know. Some even carry three quarterbacks. Well, that's that's exactly what I was saying. So, to me, you know, without a doubt, he could probably get an opportunity. I think, you know, we're going to jump into a really strong this year with fantasy football, and – Fans all over are doing mock drafts and getting hyped and excited. Leagues are saying, oh, you know, re-sign up, get to discount, join. If you had to pick today, tell me, who's the one guy that you would have to say without a doubt for you is number one? Some people are saying, Lacey, do you go with AP? Do you go with Charles, Shady? What, what's your feel on number one pick? Wow. So we play in a couple leagues that are PPR, and you got to love those quarterbacks that catch out of the backfield. Um, if your boy wasn't suspended, I would say Le'Veon Bell, potentially, just because he's just the all-around, doesn't have a weakness in his game. Um, I would have to say maybe in North Turner's offense that Adrian Peterson comes back and, and Shady McCoy is Shady McCoy. I just don't know what that, oh, what that yeah. Buffalo Bills offense is going to look like. 
But I would still think that those guys just – look, you don't forget how to run when you're out of the league with Adrian Peterson. He wasn't great out of the backfield, but with North Turner pulling the strings on offense in Minnesota, you can look to some of the numbers that that my boy Emmett Smith had and say, hmm, I bet you Adrian can put up some numbers like that. I mean, think about it. That Minnesota offensive line has been pretty good. Teddy Bridgewater is a serviceable quarterback. I know you like him more than I do, but look for Adrian Peterson to have big numbers. Oh, definitely. And I and I think AP, to me, I think Bridgewater is, uh, you might be sounding a little bit short. I mean, listen, all three of the rookie quarterbacks for me um, looked good because I like Derek Carr. And I think Blake Bortles, having the big tight end of Julius Thomas is really, you know, going to help him. I think that could be a tremendous lift for the kid, you know? Yeah, I would say so. The question becomes, where do you take the quarterbacks, do you start looking at, who, and who's your number one? Is it Aaron Rodgers? Is it Peyton Manning? Is it Andrew Luck? Who's your number one quarterback in fantasy? I think in this season coming up, you, you got to look at all the variables. But I think at the end of the day, you look at Rodgers and Luck because they both can get a little bit of rushing yards. They're not Cam Newton and Kaepernick. But they're going to throw it a plethora and often and often and more and more. They've got weapons. And, yes, they'll run the ball, but Eddie Lacy, you know, he he's going to get, I'd say, 18 carries a game. But Rodgers is just going to throw it and throw it in a little bit out of the backfield and throw to, you know, Kuhn and, and all the receivers. And then Luck, he's got, you know, he's got running backs, but I feel like he's going to pass all the time to all those weapons, three receivers, two tight ends, you know, running backs out of the backfield, Frank Gore, it, it's going to be, to me, between those two. But I take Rodgers all day, every day. And I can't, okay, well, can't count out the sheriff. Speaking you know, of Green Bay quarterbacks, and we'll talk about this with Tom when he gets on the show, they beat him in the 97 Super Bowl. I believe they were a 14-point favorite, the, the Packers were, over the Broncos. But the Packers, did you see this? They put Brett Favre in the Packers yes. Hall of Fame. Long time coming. I'm glad they did it now before he was entered into the Football Hall of Fame. A little embarrassing if he goes into the NFL Hall of Fame before he goes into the Packers Hall of Fame. <laughs> but it was nice to see that he came home, and he had an interesting little twist in his speech. You know, what did he say? He said, if, if you ever doubted that this was basically he's saying, if you ever doubted that this was where my heart is, then don't worry. I'm here. I'll always be a Packer. And, you know, even though Ted Thompson and, and I were on, left on bad terms, we, we, we hugged and kissed and made up. So I thought that was good. That was, that was really nice to see Brett Favre go back and get that warm embrace from the Green Bay fans. Without a doubt. And to me, it's a long time coming. You know, he's a cheesehead and a Packer for life. And so the Thanksgiving game, uh, day game, or that I think it will be that night, they're going to, you know, obviously put him in the ring of honor in uh, Lambeau Field. And that's going to be chilling. I mean, I think that's going to be great. Um, at the end of the day, I think Favre will go down probably as the all-time greatest Packer and the most favorite Packer. You have Star. You've got, you know, Horning. You're going to have Rodgers, Reggie White, different guys along the way. Even our boy Bad Moon Rising <laughs> was there for a minute. But, you know. 
you know, besides, you know, the great wide receivers they've had, you're going to wind up uh, always rooting for and loving Brett Favre because he wasn't perfect, and he threw a lot of interceptions, but he never quit. He showed his emotions, and he gave you those memories. That game on Monday night when his father passed and he went out there and lit it up. That, 399, think, four touchdowns. That's the all-time. Right? Oh, yes, that was the all-time Packer performance for me. And it just gave you that, like, oof, wow, Brett did this with so this I emotion. You you probably have some great – you're probably right. You have some great points. And I think that statistically Aaron Rodgers, because he's more efficient, and if Aaron Rodgers were to win one more Super Bowl, he might go down as on the field a better quarterback than Brett Favre. But I will say this. People forget. People think that Packer Town is, you know, football town, USA, and and it's all winning and whatever. But you got to remember, the Packers won Super Bowls one and two, and they weren't any good since then. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but Brett Favre took over for Don Mikowski, the Magic Man, number seven, and really reinvigorated Green Bay and the state of Wisconsin. So he took. Of an organization and a franchise and returned it to where they thought they were in the 60s. But they took the 70s, the 80s, and up until he got there in 92, 93, they were really not that good. So everybody thought of them as, as you know, not quite America's team, but everybody thought of the Packers as this winning franchise. But it, it was Brett Favre really that, that, that solidified it and turned it around. I think we have our guest here. Hello, you're on the air with Ray and Tay today. Hey, guys, how you doing? Hey, Tom. Hey. How are you? Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I was out running around and had a flat tire a second ago. I'd have been with you a little sooner. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, no, thank you. Thank no you worries. for doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, so what's going on, guys? Well, listen, Tom, this is uh, Eric Tay, and I want to jump in right with you. When we have guests on such as yourself, we we love to give our audience a lot of insight sometimes to the beginnings. And with you, I mean, you kind of came into the NFL, obviously, as a consensus All-American. Then you went undrafted, the World Football League. Was there ever a moment where you didn't think you were going to live out your NFL dream coming out of college as a punter? You know, there there was because, you know, I had I had kind of a storybook junior year and then my senior year I got hurt. Um, and so I didn't have the kind of year I was hoping to have. And then, uh, you know, I went to the World League and, and uh, did very well there. And I had gone to camp previous to that with the, the New York Giants and I went uh, against Sean Landetta, who at the time was uh, – out, you know, he was by far the best out there. And uh, so yeah. I was in a kind of lose-lose situation at the time, but I learned a lot from him. Um, but it just seemed like I would go to camp and I would do really well, and it just I wasn't getting the opportunity that I'd hoped for. And, uh, you know, I went to the Rams after that, and they kind of shuffled things around so that I, I wouldn't actually get a chance to show what I had. I mean, I was there for – I think at the time we had four or five preseason games back then. And I don't think, I think I had one kick in all of preseason. And so, um, 
yeah, I was really getting concerned I wasn't going to make it. And then on the same day, the Broncos called me and the Kansas City Chiefs called me. And I just decided um, I'd rather be close to home than, you know, so if I don't make the team, I can just come right back home. And uh, just everything kind of started to come together for me. Um, I started really hitting the ball well, very consistent. And pretty soon um, I started working my way in and thought, you know, there's no chance this, this could happen because everywhere else I had been, they never said I wasn't good enough. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's amazing when back then there was only 28 teams. And it's amazing right. how you really have to be not only very good, but you what you want to Oh, you're cutting out a little bit on us. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You still there, Am Tom? I? Yeah, you went out a little bit. Okay. So you said you have to be amazing, and 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 you definitely were, obviously, to catch on with the Broncos, and uh, and then the rest was history, kind of with that, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know, once I finally got an opportunity with Denver, and uh, you know, I the guy that I ended up replacing was Mike Horan, who is you know an outstanding punter. Um, it just finally, things just kind of, once I got my foot in the door, then it was like, uh, you know, I had a great opportunity to, to play there for a long, long time and, and everything went really well. So, but the, you know, I was kind of down to the point with, with that, um, you know, when I was in camp, I was really at the point where if I don't make it. I, I was that was going to be it because I was passing up a lot of really good jobs. I mean, I graduated from CU and uh, Procter and Gamble and wanted to hire me for a long time and and other uh, you know big companies and and I just I kept turning them down because I didn't want to burn those bridges and go take a job with Procter and Gamble and then uh, leave for camp you know when somebody called and and end up walking away from that job. So at the time that I made it with Denver, I was driving a snowplow at night and uh, just so that I could survive. That's great. That's great. And it's amazing. It's amazing how many of these, you know, untold turns athletes can take. And, and had, you know, had you not gotten the phone call, you'd be, you know, you'd have totally different career. That's, that's great. So we a little bit about Brett Favre because they just retired his number so let me take you back to that magical season, or you take us back to that magical season in 97. So the Packers win in 96, and they're the defending champs. And then in 97, I think you guys were a two-touchdown underdog in the Super yeah. Bowl. And you guys go out and win and beat the Packers, and the next year go out and beat the Falcons. So tell us about that. Tell us about how – what that season was like, the first one, especially when you were an underdog, and then being a defending champ. What was that whole that whole season, the playoff run, and then obviously winning back-to-back Super Bowls? Well, you know, the, the thing about we had played such good football in 97, and we just could not understand. I mean, it was like we went down to, we went down to the Super Bowl, and they were giving us no chance to win. I mean, just absolutely <laughs> none. And, and I can remember uh, – you know, we all just kept our mouths shut and said, yeah, they're so great. They're so powerful. We just hope we don't get embarrassed and, you know, saying all the right things. But as a group, we were just like, you know, coach called us all out individually and he's like individually and said, 
you show me on on paper from each position where where are we weaker than this team? Because he's like, I don't see it. You know, and right. and I really think that was a that was neat how he did that where everybody was looking at each other like, Yeah, you know, Shannon Sharp and they had Chimera and you know, and we would just go down through all the all the players and and it was uh you know, we had a we had a great football team and so it was hard to understand why we were so um so much of an underdog and, and all that. And then, you know, with Shanahan, he'd been to a lot of Super Bowls with San Francisco and uh right. so he he had a great great uh program of keeping us all together. We all stayed in the hotel and we had like a huge area that, that was uh all arcade games and pool tables and all kinds of stuff and everybody just congregated there every night and you know, I think his he was what he was trying to do is just keep the team together, keep them out of trouble and have everyone be close together and talking about how we, you know, how we apparently had no chance against these guys. And uh, so it, it was, it was great when we, when we did win and that ball hit the ground uh, on fourth down, it, it was just incredible. The, the excitement and then the uh, parade that followed. Uh, I've never <laughs> seen that many people in downtown Denver. I've never lived there lived there my whole life and wow. you couldn't every street had people as far as you could see down every direction all the buildings people on top of the buildings hanging out of the windows i mean it was really a an awesome thing to see and uh and then obviously when we came back the next year and and uh defended and repeated as as champions was uh was really was great because i i want to think the year before we had played in 97, we played five preseason games because we did one of those over in, uh, I don't know where we were, like, I can't remember if it was Japan or Australia or one of those, but we had five preseason games. We had the 16 regular season games, and then we had the wild card. So we played, I think all told, I think we played 25 games that season. And then it was like, as soon as we got done, uh, it felt like we had a week off and then all of a sudden we were back training again. And so, uh, it really was, you know, pretty tough to, to get back there to the Super Bowl again. Um, but it was, it was great. Wow. And so let me, Tom, let me, also add, go ahead. Tim. No, no, I just wanted to ask you because you're talking about a great coach and a great team and a lot of two things. A lot of people didn't know that you, I mean, obviously, you were a great punter, and you had more, even though you had Elway, you had Terrell Davis, a running game, played defense, you were booming the punts. How do you think people would sort of believe that it wasn't just this, you know, passing 400 yards with Elway for, like, you know, the young kids that don't know? I mean, obviously, we were there, so we we know how good your defense was, and you controlled the ball with Davis and, and Sharp. And also, I wanted to ask you about Shanahan. Tell us a little bit. I mean, you mentioned, you know, like what he did for you for Super Bowl, but was he, obviously you played for a bunch of different coaches. Was he sort of your favorite or your best coach? Because, you know, lately he's got a bad rap with the whole RG3 debacle and all that stuff. And I think Shanahan yeah. is, is a known winner in Denver. So give us some insight to uh, your team and your style and, and how he uh, drove you guys to win two in a row. Well, you know, I, the thing was is he came in and uh, – he he did a great job of keeping the whole team together and 
and uh, it, it was really a heartbreaking loss. And we lost in in '96 after we had had the bye. Jacksonville. We lost Jacksonville. Yeah. It was awful, and uh. and so he did a great job of keeping everybody together, keeping their heads up, and then uh, you know the, the thing about uh, Coach Shanahan is you just never felt on game day you were ever going to be out coached, and and you know I, I I really believe that with him and Kubiak. Uh, together, it's just they always put together a great, great plan. And uh, you know, we had Alex Gibbs um, as a line coach, and and it just you just had some real uh, masterminds of football all together. And and I think when you get that, it just it exudes so much confidence in the players because you know that we're not going to go out there on a on a Sunday and go, what are we doing? I mean, that just never happens. <laughs> you know, it was like. You can see something, you know, you pick something up that, you know, maybe a guy's jumping around or or there's, they're doing something different with their coach and immediately the coaches pick it up and, and make them pay for it. So, uh, you know, from that standpoint, it was, it was great because you always felt like you were going to be right in the mix with the coaching. And then the, the other thing, too, is whatever, you know, coach had been there before. He had won championships. Uh, you know, as a coordinator, but with San Francisco. And so we never questioned anything he asked us to do. I mean, if, if he thought we needed to run more or if he thought we needed to play faster or, you know, lift more or whatever, whatever he asked us to do, we did it. And that was just how that whole team was. I mean, if guys needed to work on something after practice, whoever they needed out there, guys would be out there helping them out. So it was just uh, a really selfless team and um, of guys, and then some really great coaches. Hey, Tom, let me ask you about one of your famous or most famous teammates, uh, John Elway. Now, everybody knows he's a Hall of Famer and big, strong arm coming out of Stanford, went to the three Super Bowls, you know, and lost them, and then finally won the, the last two of his career, went out with, with a glory. Did you have any idea that he would be a GM and then that he'd be this good a GM? You know, um, I never knew he would be a GM. I always thought he'd just jump right to owner somehow. Um, he, <laughs> he, he just always had that that air about him. He understands the game. He knows what you know what needs to be done to win, and he just ha- has a relentless drive to win. And so, it's really neat to see how much success he's having in Denver. And I think. You know, he picks guys, and, and I think people are like, wonder why he did that. And then these guys turned out to be fantastic players that, that, you know, a couple of them that guys haven't heard of before. And then obviously the guys that the bigger name guys are doing really well. And and guys seem to be staying out of trouble pretty well. And uh, all that is leadership from the top. And uh, so no, I, think, I think he's really done a, a fantastic job of putting – putting uh, guys out on the field that can win. And, and so uh, I really hope that, that they can get to that next level and, uh, and win it. I mean, so much of it comes down to at the end of the season, whether a guy's healthy, how healthy your team is. And I think, you know, I think Peyton at the end of the year there was, was pretty banged up. And so hopefully they can get through the playoffs or to the playoffs and, and be really healthy because that makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely does. Yeah. So let me ask you this one because 
I got to have a little bit of fun with you. You know, Ray and I, you know, we played some sports growing up, and I have a lot of friends that, you know, would play around with the football and try to punt it, and I don't know too many human beings on earth that have ever punted the ball 76 yards. Tell us what does that feel like, and do you feel like you had any advantages punting, obviously, in my high stadium, or did you just have, you know, a super booming leg? You know, I, I never, when I was in Denver, I, I don't know, I never noticed the difference. I mean, um, when when we went out on the road, that's where I had some of my biggest games, and yeah. uh, and and I think that, that 76-yard punt was actually in uh, Oakland. And so, okay, yeah. um, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think a lot of it is if you walk into a place and you think you're going to do great there for whatever reason, then I think, you you know, it you are. And for me, I, I kind of just felt that way um, whenever I went anywhere. I think Green Bay was the only place I really didn't like to kick. Um, <laughs> I just – I never could figure that place out. And I did okay there, but I never really had a huge day there and – and that was that was about the only place. I mean, I loved going to Dallas and uh, Arizona, you know, places like that. Dallas was my favorite place to kick, and um, and then I really enjoyed kicking at the Raiders too, just because I love all the energy you get from the the fans yelling the at you. And screaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the black hole is crazy. <laughs> yeah, you know, they yell, scream at you the whole game, and and that's that's part of it. I mean, you, you have to draw from that energy and and really enjoy that hey tom when you look back on your career do you have a single moment that you just i mean other than winning a super bowl but individually for your own you know memory bank do you have a single moment that you think back and say wow that's my most memorable you know time in professional football boy you know for me it was just making it finally honestly it was Wow. I uh, I walked up, you know, I got a call at about three o'clock in the morning uh, from from one of my friends, and he's like, "Dude, I think you made the team because he's like, I'm hearing rumors that they called uh, Mike Horan and wanted him to come in early and talk to him and all that." And so I was up all night long, and I'd had I'd had a very good camp and very good preseason, and I was I can remember walking up to the doors and. And uh, Ted Sunquist, who ended up being, he was a general manager for a long time. He, this was before mm-hmm. then, he was in scouting. And he was the guy that stood there at the doors and either sent you upstairs to go see the coaches or to go into the locker room. And I opened the door and he was standing there. And I just stood in that doorway looking at him. And then I took a couple steps in and, and he just kept looking at me, looking at me. And he said, get in there. Get <laughs> the locker room. And, and. I walked through, and Atwater jumped on my back and started smacking me around, and was like, oh, "Yeah, wow. Tommy." Yeah, you know? well, yeah. <laughs> and so it was, it was really neat just to have, for me, because it had taken me a couple of years and bouncing around and to to make it in the league, and and then to not only make it in the league, but to make it in my hometown, uh, uh, it was just awesome. I just couldn't even believe it. And that was the first, that was the first thing Wade Phillips, because he was the coach at the time. Is he said, yeah. look, you need to understand, I know all these guys, a lot of these guys are your idols. And he said, but now they're your teammates. And he said, you can't be mesmerized. You have to do just like they do. And he said, you just go do your thing. And uh, and it was great that he said that because, you know, I mean, I'm walking in. Carl Mecklenburg, 
you know, I, I yeah. idolized him and, and Elway and, you know, all Dennis Smith and Atwater. And, you know, you see all these guys and it's like, wow, like these are my teammates now. <laughs> so it was, it really was cool. That's awesome. And you had a, such a cast of characters there at Denver, the years you were there going into the Super Bowl years. Give us uh, one one player that was either, you know, like either your best friend or just one guy that was so crazy that you just loved lining up with him and having him wear the same uniform as you. Well, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, Shannon Sharp is just, he just, his yeah. energy and enthusiasm every day that he that he brings to the <laughs> locker room, it's just, and the things he comes up with, and he, he was just, uh, it's incredible because I don't think the guy ever slept. I mean, I really don't. Like, he used, <laughs> during funny. camp, he, he would have uh, Club Shay Shay, and every night guys would go in there and, and be gambling and, you know, just hanging out and having a good time. And that thing would be going until 4 or 5 in the morning, and then he'd be the first guy out there at 7, you know, stretching and running around and um, <laughs> He just—it it was just amazing how how much fun he was all the time. I mean, he just is a tremendous teammate, and uh, and I, I really just love being around him. So, hey, one Tom, of the. What do you think yeah, about what do you think about today's NFL? Do you think there's anything that you think that that the NFL is doing right, doing wrong? What what they could improve on? Because, you know, people in different eras say, and your era is not that long ago, but, you know, there there have been some serious changes in the rules um, on offense, defense, to some degree on special teams. You know, they were, they were talking about, uh, you know, messing with the kickoffs, with the punts, you know, and, and all these rule changes, some of them for player safety, some of them for, you know, entertainment value. Is there anything in particular that, that catches your eye in today's game? Well, I you know, I – there's certain things that I think are, are great. Like the, you know, the defenseless receiver. I mean, you just can't be knocking guys out that, you know, reach for a ball and it's out of their reach and the guy doesn't make a play in the ball and just tries to knock them out. I mean, there's just not a place for that kind of stuff, but I do think they're, they're getting a little too far, you know, past that as far as, um, you know, some of these guys are, are, laying down hits and getting fines at 75,000 and 50,000. I mean, you know, in slow motion, it's really easy to, to see where your head's going to fit on a guy who's, who's coming. But when two guys right. are running each other at 20 miles an hour and they're both trying to go for a ball or, or hit each other or whatever. And, you know, the receiver ducks a little bit and then he catches them on the head and they throw a penalty and find a guy all this money, I, I just don't, I don't know. I just, the, the spirit of the game, uh, they need to look at that stuff. And if you want to find a guy 10 grand, that's fine. But some of these fines are just getting absurd. Um, you know, especially when these guys grew up their whole lives hitting people and, and they were trained to do that. And then uh, you can't, you can't go and, and even hammer somebody in the chest in in case they duck a little and now you, you caught them under the chin, you know, and it's, so I don't know. I, I would like to see them loosen that up a little bit. And then a lot, some of these, these calls on, on, um, you know, where they're, they're just making it almost impossible for these defensive backs to cover guys. Um, you know, it's just, I think there was one game I was watching that it was like, there must've been a penalty on every single play for the first 15 plays. I mean, it was just painful to watch. 
And at some Breathe point, yellow body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we we agree. Yellow. Trust me, we agree with you, Tom. We definitely agree with you. You got to let the kids play. You know. <laughs> You know, what's interesting no, is that you say that, Tom, is that one of the most outspoken or, or several of the most outspoken players about, especially about the fining and the penalties, are offensive players, ex-quarterbacks, Troy Aikman's of the world and, and, and Boomer Esiason's and other people like that who theoretically would have benefited from this are saying, wait a minute, we're going way too far. You're trying to protect the offensive player, but you're yeah. going way too far and you're taking the essence of the game. It's, it's, it's a violent game. You want to control the violence, but, but it's, a, it's tackle football at the end of the day, right? It's not two-hand touch. Right, exactly. And, and you know, I think what they've done, even with with all these rules they're putting in, you're always going to get something else that happens. I mean, now guys are going to the knees way more. Well, it's always been kind of an unspoken rule that, that you just don't do that. I mean, that guy's got a family, got That's a mortgage, right. he, you know, and all that. And I'm not going to come up and and try to cut his legs out or, you know, especially defensive backs and, you know, where they can see the guy's about to catch the ball and then go low on him. But that's they're, they're getting to the point where they're left no option, you know, because the guy's not going to go high. You go high and you hit him, and you just lost all the money you were going to give for your kid's college education, you know, <laughs> where where that receiver would take that hit up top over his knees every single time. And so, they, oh, definitely. you know, and how do you, you know, you start getting some of these receivers that are 6'5", 240 with, you know, 5% <laughs> body fat. How do you tackle that guy? You know, <laughs> By any means necessary. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, so I don't know. There's a couple of rules there that, that I wish could would be changed. And, and then special teams-wise, you know, the kickoff, moving it up, um, it's great, but you've eliminated three or four guys that used to just be trained killers out there. I mean, you know, the wedge busters, the guys that just yeah. go down and blow everything up, they're not, they don't exist anymore in the league. And, and so you've got several guys on each team that are unemployed now because of that. And, you know, does it make the game better? Well, I, I guess, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much, the safety has gone up and the injuries have gone down. I really don't. All right. Well, Tom, listen, we don't want to keep you forever, so we totally appreciate you joining us. But i gotta got to ask you this. Tell, tell our fans what you're doing now. I mean, I know you spoke to me a little bit about working with some punters and some other different, you know, charity events and different things you do off the field. Um, anything you want to promote or let us know about, please share it with us, you know, your, your your daily life and stuff like that and other things that's going on with Tom Rowan now? Well, right now, you know, I, we've had a – my wife got injured in an ATV accident, so most of my time right now is, is spent just um, with her rehab and, and helping her with her foundation, Amy's Army. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to, to get, get life back to normal and um you know i do some real estate deals and things like that nothing exciting but biggest thing is just trying to get uh amy you know back up on her feet and and getting life back to normal as much as possible and how's she doing tell our fans i mean some fans don't know obviously she's a great olympian you might want to just uh you know share with the audience real quick uh, yeah, who your uh, wife is yeah my wife is uh, amy van dyke and she's a six-time olympic gold medalist swimmer and yeah. we were up at our our cabin uh, a year ago and uh, she was 
lost control of her ATV for one second and went over an embankment and uh, has been paralyzed from the waist down. And so uh, we're just working hard to, you know, to try to rehab her to where uh, one day she can walk again, you know, maybe with braces or or whatever means possible. And in the meantime, trying trying to help out a lot of people that that are in the same situation she is that, um, you know, are in need of special equipment. So those are just kind of things we're doing now. best and anytime if you've got an event or anything you want us to promote please let us know and we will blast it from east coast to west coast well i sure appreciate it guys yeah thank you so much Tom. Thank this you, has Tom. been great for us and for our audience and and uh we wish you all the best first with your wife and then with uh all the stuff that you do uh off the field thanks a lot i sure appreciate it and uh i'll talk to you guys soon all right, take care, Tom. Um, go Broncos. Thanks for calling in. <laughs> All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow, that was awesome. See, and this is what it's all about, Ray and Tay giving you insight to former NFL players, obviously a Super Bowl champion and Tom Rowland, great punter um, with amazing stories and just all that insight was sharp and at water and just his journey. Can you imagine? Procter & Gamble or Super Bowl champion. That, that's, and not only uh, Super Bowl champion, great. but here's the thing. It wasn't like he was a one- or two-year guy. He had, what, a 13-year NFL career, and he was this oh, close yeah. to, to, to slinging yeah. tide. You know what I mean? And that's fans crazy. don't know that. It's so fans crazy how – and, and punters, you know, you only have one, and there were 28, right? We talked about quarterbacks. We talked about receivers. Yeah. Nowadays you need six, seven receivers on the, on the depth chart. But back <laughs> in the day, you only had 28 teams – only need 28 punters. So there's so 28 jobs out there, and there's a lot of veterans with experience. So breaking in is tough, and there's no real minor leagues. So, I, wow, what a crazy story that he was this close to selling, you know, Procter & Gamble. And, you know, I'm real crazy. I mean, obviously, obviously he said it, but, you know, I mean, we send our prayers and our love out to his wife, but – you know, as you know, American, she was a great. I mean, you remember her in the Olympics? She was an amazing swimmer, and so that's just um, you know, you definitely wish her the best. But they're definitely a fascinating and interesting couple because I, I I remember she was a dominant swimmer for the women in the Olympics. So that's uh, you know that's awesome. So listen, we we gotta keep it moving. We we did the NFL real quick. This was. An interesting, rain, windy, you know, I guess you could say almost normal open, you know, for the British Open over in Scotland. Obviously, Zach Johnson wins with, you know, the the three-player tiebreaker, four-hole tiebreaker. Were you, I guess a couple of questions, were you surprised that he sort of pulled out, you know, the the last day he shot amazing, um, you know, the back nine and just today, but and, and then winning 1.8 million, so good for him. Uh, shooting finally a minus 15, and then you know winning in, in the, basically the overtime period in the playoff. But Jordan Spieth was right there, minus 14, just missed the playoff. And then the bigger story might be Dustin Johnson, who was winning after two days, totally just disappeared. And everyone's trying to say now that he can't win the big one. Give me your thoughts on the Open and, and those three gentlemen. So. Whenever you have 
six or seven guys within a stroke or two of each other, it was anybody's game. And oh, Louis Louis Oosthuizen could have won it. You know, Mark Leishman could have won it. Jordan Spieth. Uh, Day also, you know, coming yeah. up on that second to last group. One of my favorites, yeah. So it was really anybody's game. And, and almost like Josh Hamilton when he was at the old Yankee Stadium and had that unbelievable home run derby. But at the end of the day, Justin Morneau won the home run derby. I mean, we, we're still talking <laughs> about Jordan Speed because the guy is 21 years old. He was one stroke away from being the thir- the second guy since Ben Hogan to win the first three majors. So he's uh, great. I mean, this guy's unbelievable. He's amazing. He's, he's the new Tiger Woods. I mean, obviously he's he's not as accomplished, but at this point in his career, nobody's better at 21 than this, this guy. So, so even Keel, Ray, that's what's so incredible. The kid doesn't get flustered. He hit a clutch shot to even get uh, one behind, and you know, he's not known to be the best putter. He putted well, but he doesn't do anything poorly on the golf course. And this is why I think whatever the terrain is, whether it's the Masters, the Open, PGA, bless you, he'll be there. And and I think you're going to see consistency from him, like I told you last show, that you're not going to get from Rory. And we won't even mention what Tiger, you know, him and Rory are just, I don't know what's going on. So congrats to Zach Johnson, though. I think that was, it was this is his second major. And um, glad, yeah, glad that he won. Exactly. So, you know, that was good for him. Um, we definitely, you know, got to also, you know, talk about some NBA. We've had some interesting stuff, and we'll talk about some MLB. But real quick with the NBA, obviously Ty Lawson gets the second DUI in a year. You know, I don't know if this was during the ESPYs or, you know, all the basketball players out in L.A. training. The Nuggets had enough, but I think that you saw the writing on the wall when they drafted Moutier, and then a couple of days ago they had signed Jameer Nelson. So I'm thinking Ty's going wherever. Then he gets the DUI, and then I'm like, well, will they be able to trade him? Well, they did, and I think the Rockets did themselves well. They give up a, first, a, a future first-round pick, I believe, and four players. So, you know, Pablo Pergioni, who the Nuggets already released, Kostas Pakabakbudu, you know, the, the name, Joey Dorsey, and Nick Johnson. And do you like any of those pieces? Was it a throwaway? Do you just bank on Nick Johnson in the first-round pick for the Nuggets? I mean, what yeah, do you I think, think about that? Yeah, I think it was a throwaway. It was just cleaning up yeah. shop. And the Rockets benefited highly. Yeah, now, the question Nuggets- is, does he start over Beverly? Yeah. I think so. I think okay. Patrick Beverly is yeah. who you bring off the bench. I think Ty Lawson is – just a notch below, assuming this DUI thing resolves itself and there's no you know, re- repercussions on that, he's just a notch below that first tier of uh, 10 to 12 you know, point guards. So he's, he's so, probably right below Conley, would you say? He's not yeah. as good as Mike Conley. Yeah, Ty Lawson, but, let's be honest, he's a Tar Heel, <laughs> Tar Heel that we love, but he doesn't play great defense. He doesn't, but he leads the team, and he scores, and he assists, and he's tough. So I, I like Ty Lawson, and I think the cool thing about it for the Rockets is Patrick Beverly's the exact opposite in terms of defense first, tough, gritty yeah. guy. So together, they're both small, but together they make for an interesting little combo at the guard position. But i got to say something. Hold on now. I went to the Yankee <laughs> game. And I have an Uh-oh. unnamed source at the Yankee game, but we got to talk. It's about basketball. Went to the Yankee game. Okay. We started talking, and he put forth he put forth this what if, 
let me put it out there to you and say even if it's not true, there's a possibility it could happen in the future. So he said, what would you say if I told you, and again, the source remains nameless, but what would I say if I told you that somebody wanted to sabotage Mark Cuban and the whole DeAndre Jordan fiasco really sabotages Cuban and the and the Mavericks because not only do they not get their guy by the time they lost their Chandler, guy yeah. signs they lost Chandler they lost every opportunity to get the next best guy or the next best guy not only that so so you don't get you don't get Jordan you don't get a decent replacement for Jordan and the third thing is because people's sl- salaries were slotted a certain way you now have to pay JJ Barea more and you have to max out Wesley Matthews because they all took less they both took less money because of DeAndre Jordan's max. So now you're stuck with bigger contracts for Matthews and Berea that you didn't plan on having. So it totally screwed up the Mavericks, their salary cap and their roster. So now just putting it out there, suppose it's true that somebody wanted to that you know, this were this were all created to sabotage Denver. So one comment on that. But secondly, even if it's not true, the ability to do this in the future to a team—that I mean, it's a little shady. But think about it: if you have eight or nine days where you can renege on a contract, I'm, that's dangerous. That's dangerous for for GM, for yeah. players, and and it can have serious effects. Think about how Dallas is set back for a couple years because of well, that. Well, let's, let's talk about the team that did it. And you're talking about Ballmer, Steve Ballmer, the owner, the new owner, Doc Rivers, you know, Jordan, and then they just signed dun, 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 Josh Smith. The Clippers have improved so much. The Mavericks have been weakened maybe all the way down to the seventh or eighth seed. The Clippers are back in the conversation of the top four with Warriors, OKC, and the Spurs. Um, when you get Josh Smith, Wesley Johnson, Paul Pierce, you know, and, and you trade for Lance Stevenson, even, you know, drafting Brandon Dawson, you have a whole nucleus of basically a bench that he never had, re-signing Austin Rivers and keeping Crawford and Reddick. The Clippers, to me, they could very easily be front runners because <clears throat> the Spurs still have Father Time to battle against. I do love the fact, you know I have to bring this in, the MVP of Summer League, the championship game, comes on right after our show. So check out NBA TV, the Spurs versus Suns with Becky Hammond. Give her props, coaching uh, all the way to the, the Summer League championship in Vegas. Kyle Anderson, props to him from New Jersey, and he played with our boy, you know, Ricky Rivers in his uh, Junior Pros League, that Kyle Anderson was the MVP of Summer League. The first team was Doug uh, McDermott, Kyle Anderson, T.J. Warren, who's been getting busy for the Suns, also, Norman Powell, Ray, who's done well, the second-round pick for the Raptors, and um, oh, one of the guys, should have been Bobby Portis, but it was uh, somebody else. Oh, Seth Curry, let me not forget, who is about to probably sign a deal with the Pelicans. So I think, look, the NBA said they're not going to change the rule. Cuban is going all over cyber dust trying to promote his stuff, saying we should have 10 teams in the playoffs. That's silliness. And I think, you know, a lot of people are getting tired of Cuban. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was done on purpose. I don't think that will, you know, hold up or, or happen again. 
just because I think it's really between owners, it's mainly a gentleman's, you know, league in terms of look, everybody's savvy nowadays, and it's not these old owners. These are said, you know, the the, uh, you know, all the stock market guys, you know, in the, involved, and people really want to keep things on the up and up. But I don't think the commissioner said he's going to change the rules, so we'll see what happens in the future. But this happens what once every. Some odd years that happened with Ahidu Turkoglu years ago with member Orlando and wherever else he went to. So I don't well, know. Boozer, that was like a handshake agreement. Yeah, that was a little iffy. cap issue, but it was a handshake <clears throat> with the Cavs, and he ends up with Utah. No, you're right. Also, listen, we got to give props to one of our old buddies uh, from Michigan State, Keith Appling, uh, signed a two-year deal with the Orlando Magic. So. Listen, I'm excited with all the moves. I think the West is going to be a battle. Toronto's gotten better in the East, Milwaukee. So, you know, there's going to be a lot going on. we got to talk and, and finish up the show strong with a little bit of baseball. Our Yankees are looking good. You called it. i got to give Ray props. You called Mike Trout winning the MVP. He did. But, you know, one thing that was good, because everybody, you know, talks about, oh, there's no more African-American, you know, baseball players in baseball. Well, listen. Lorenzo Cain and Prince Silver were two of the bigger stars of the game. Then Andrew McCutcheon on the other side, I told you to look out for him. He did well for the National League. Also my guy from Arizona, Goldie. I thought it was a great game. The home run derby was amazing. Props to Todd Frazier for pulling that out, right? And the home crowd fans, and they honored Pete Rose, and you saw Sean Casey and all the Reds, Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench. What did you think about Major League Baseball finally you know, even having some players in commercials, Ray, I was shocked stepping up and having a great two days leading into the ESPYs. I thought it was great. I thought that Cincinnati is a great American baseball tradition ballpark and city. I thought the they stumbled onto the to the right formula. You know, they were tweaking with it, and oh, then it yeah. was going to rain, so they shortened it from five minutes to four minutes, and they, they got it right. So th- this is the new format. So for the next five years, they, they don't even need to tweak it at all. I love this format, the timeout in the middle, the four minutes. You know, it puts pressure on. I love it. I love it. I think they, they, uh, they got it right. And the game, you know, the one stat that I thought was more important than any other stat was that, there were 21 guys under 25 in this game. And oh, that wow. just means that baseball is in great shape. You know, if you think about it, Miguel Cabrera is kind of the the, the, the triple crown winner and, 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 old, and poppy. The old guy. He's the old poppy but now, yeah. He's the old poppy, right? But ultimately, <laughs> the best player in the game is Mike Trout, and he's in his mid to early 20s. Bryce Harper's right him. And your guy, Paul Goldschmidt's right behind him. And your pitchers are are young and studly. So baseball's in great shape. They just need to get more name recognition for their stars, right? Andrew McCutcheon needs to get promoted more. Mike Trout's doing his Subway commercial, so they you know, you sort of see Mike Trout. But, but where's Bryce Harper? Where's Paul Goldschmidt? Where's uh, Andrew McCutcheon? Where's Clayton Kershaw? Where is... Uh, you know, Matt Harvey, to some degree, because he's in New York, will always be fine. But, but where's Jacob DeGrom? Where are all these guys that are young 
and the young kid in Colorado, the third baseman. He's yeah, oh my gosh, Nolan he's a stud. Yeah, Arenado. Yeah. yeah, he's nice. Um, Arenado's ridiculous. They've got Manny Machado, right? This guy should win an MVP. Right. If he, he's he's yeah. about as good a two-way player as there is. I mean, the guy is is, is an unbelievable Brooks Robinson type third baseman. You don't say that too easily, but this and he's learning how to be a force on offense as well. So baseball's in great shape in terms of young talent. They just need to cultivate that talent and market that talent. Take some notes from the NFL. Take some notes from the NBA. Uh, so if you're a baseball guy, this was a great week for you. Absolutely great. It really was. And you know what? I applaud baseball and their stars. And, you know, a lot of people were worried about the voting and everything. And I got to say, I'm extremely happy for the American League because having the Royals, four guys and, what, six guys in all or seven, and, you know, Kane played good. You know, you saw – Mustakis get in there. The fact that they won and the American League still won, and they were, you know it's for home field advantage. I was happy. The fans kind of got what they wanted, but you know baseball was still preserved in terms of no funny business and and um, a good game was was so. And you saw the star pitchers. You know that that was nice. The only guy we really missed was Sonny Gray, but um, I was very impressed with everything. What did you think real quick about the SBs? Obviously, we're a little late on it. Everybody seemed to be hating on um, Caitlyn Jenner's speech. I don't know why. I don't think Bruce or Caitlyn Jenner, whatever you want to say, said anything wrong. I mean, we would all agree you shouldn't bully people or kids and this and that, whether you're talking about transgender or not. So I, I thought the SBs was great. I thought, you know, LeBron and, and the guy hosting it was pretty good, you know. So overall, did you know that he, the guy from the soup. Did you know that he played football? I didn't know that he played. He I, played at the University I didn't know of that Washington either. In yeah, because I definitely thought, oh, he's no, that, a comedian, but no, he's yeah. a player. <laughs> that that was surprising, and um, you know, and I was glad when they did the the, the soccer girls won team of the year. I, I would have given it to the UConn women, but you know that's just me. But overall, I think everything was good. Right now, we're on the cusp of training camp. Basketball seems to be set. Only one guy that's not signed. I, I want to ask you about this. I still think he can score in the post and do some good things. Not a great defender. But how come nobody signed Carlos Boozer yet? What do you think about someone like a Carlos Boozer? And could he sort of, you know, especially in that Western Conference, could he still help one of the big four or five teams kind of put them over the edge a little bit? being a, you know, scorer off the bench. Absolutely. And I am, like you, not understanding why he's not on a roster. I mean, this guy knows his role, and he knows where he is in the pecking order of, you know, power forwards. So you would think that he's made a lot of money in the past, that he'll sign for the veterans minimum, or, or, or if you have the mid-level exception to give him. Carlos Boozer can still play, and Carlos Boozer is – first and foremost, an offensive threat off the bench, but he's also a veteran. He's crafty. He knows how to finish around the basket. He's a righty who uses left hand really well. He can still score. He can still rebound. To me, Carlos Boozer is an asset, and if you can bring him off the bench, even better. So, like you, I don't understand why he's not with the team. Maybe it's one of those he's he's a veteran and, and you know he'll get picked up, I don't know, in, in September, October, but you know, this guy needs to be on a team. So 
you know, just kind of random, and we've kind of already talked about this with last week's free agency, but even these last final moves that have just happened with Lawson to the Rockets and the Clippers getting Smith, by the way, quietly, the Grizzlies, you know, didn't look like they did much, but they signed their guys and they've got, you know, a nice uh, bench with Russ Smith and Adams and the young guys and um, Stokes. But they, they picked up Matt Barnes, who I like him backing up Jeff Green at the three. If you had to pick one team in the West today, OKC, Warriors, Clippers, I mean, and some people say the Warriors got weaker by losing David Lee, who I think was a big uh, piece in the, in, the, in, the, you know, in the finals against the Cavs. Once he came in, he changed the series, and, you know, you're getting Gerald Wallace for him, but they don't have that post-scoring that they're going to – I think they're going to miss that. Do, do you think it's the Spurs? Is it the Clippers? Who, who, would, who would Ray put his money on? If you went to Vegas next week, early, early preseason, odds – what are you putting your dough on? I think it's – well, I predicted it this year too, though. Spurs, Clippers. Uh, I think – I will tell you who will not win the West. It's the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> no, I'm Woo, not going to say Utah. Okay. I'm going to say it's the Golden State Warriors. They're not winning anything. Huh? They're, not, okay. they're not an elite team in the West anymore. I think they're the second half of the playoff team. In other words, five to eight. I think they lose in the first round. Uh, I think everybody around them got better, and they got worse. And people are going to find a way to to beat that team. They're going to figure out the formula, and I think they're one and done. I, I do believe. I think they're an okay team, but but I think that ultimately, the, the other teams around them got so much better. So to me, it's it's Clippers and Spurs, um, just like it was this year. <laughs> Ironically enough, they played each other. Uh, but yeah, I, I, Houston. I think they become an elite team. Uh, OKC is, is TBD, right? I, I don't know what they're going to be. Hopefully they're healthy, but if they are, they're better than Golden State um, just because of, of Durant and Westbrook in, in the clutch. So to me, uh, Golden State is fifth, sixth seed, and they lose in the first round. Fifth, sixth seed. Wow, Ray, you're going out, man. Well, listen, it was a great show. we got to thank Tom Rowan for coming on and, and joining us former Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion punter, and just his journey, his uh, career. We wish him and his wife well, and um, it's fun, like always, talking with you. We'll be back next week. Ray, real quick, our Yankees are up four games in the Orioles. I think you might have to say I'm sorry in a couple of weeks uh, to our I Yankees. I was at the stadium. I was at the stadium on okay. Saturday. I, was saying, I just wanted to give I, I our Yankees love... some props. They're hanging in there. They are. They are. And, and Carlos Beltran came back on Saturday. Uh, or oh, actually on we Sunday. need him. And if he can stay healthy, and Joe Girardi, which he's good at, actually, is managing minutes, I mean minutes, games, yeah, um, yeah. for his guys. He'll deliver more justice in a weekend than 10 years of your courts and tribunals. Just stay out of his way. Yeah, all right, we're out. All right, well, listen, thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Have a great morning.